Amen. You may be seated. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We'll pick up in verse 7. We'll do 7 through 11 this morning. Philippians chapter 3. Today, as you turn there, I want you to know that I'm going to proclaim from the Bible something that is more valuable than any information you're ever going to hear. I I think that's true every Sunday morning (laughs) when I stand in this pulpit, but this morning I just want to call your attention to it before I do it. We could say that every Sunday morning, but this morning especially, I think that we are going to look at something here that is the most valuable truth that we could ever have in our Christian life. Look with me in verse 7 of Philippians chapter 3. Paul writes, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. There's nothing more important in the life of Paul, and therefore there should be nothing more important than in our lives than to know Christ Jesus as Lord. That's it. But that's no small endeavor. Because it took a lot for Jesus Christ to become Lord. It took Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11 for Jesus Christ to become Lord. He's not Lord before He dies in human form and is resurrected and highly exalted and is given the name that is above all names. That the name of Jesus Christ everyone should say Lord. So this morning, we're going to see what it means to know Christ. And I think there's three things from this text that Paul points us to, that God has inspired Paul to draw our attention to. What does it mean to know Christ? It means to, number one, gain Him. Number two, it means to be found in Him. And number three, it means to be under him. We need to gain him, then we need to ongoingly be found in him, and all the while we need to be under him. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So start with me in verse 8. Paul says, for his sake, we pick up there in the middle of verse 8, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. There's our first point. Gain Christ. It it is to know Christ first in that we gain Him. Paul tells us that this is the pattern of the Christian life. You must lose everything. So much so that you must call everything garbage in comparison to gaining Jesus Christ. It's commonplace for people quite tragically, to add Jesus to their life. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about throwing everything aside and inserting Jesus Christ in all of its place. We don't just add Jesus to our life like He's yet another category. No. He's the one category. And everything else gets added under Him. We'll talk about that in a moment. But there is only one category that needs to be in the life of the Christian, and that's Jesus Christ, and Him as Lord. 
But again, tragically, so many people, even we have moments in our life where Jesus is merely added to what else we call life. And that's not what Paul's talking about here. See, we need to understand that Jesus Christ, the God of this Bible, will not cohabitate with anything in our lives. He didn't want to share your life with Him. He wants to own your life. He wants to be the Lord of your life. And therefore, there's a call, Christian. There's a call, even non-Christian, to cast everything aside for Christ. And so Paul here tells us we've got to lose everything before we can gain Him. Now, with that, what does it mean to lose everything? We're talking, first of all, about gaining Christ. Paul says to gain Christ, you've got to lose everything. What does it mean to actually lose everything? We've got to be careful with that because we don't just throw everything asunder. That would not be godly. That would be neglectful. To lose everything, we must. what Paul's referring to here is lose everything that we look to for righteousness. I don't need to lose my family. I'm called to lead my family. I don't lose them. But I don't look to them for my righteousness. They wouldn't want me to look to them for that. So I don't cast them aside physically, but spiritually I cast them aside. Now here's what it looked like for Paul earlier here in chapter 3, starting in uh, verse 4. We see that Paul, here's the things that he's going to count as rubbish Because he looked at that at one time for righteousness. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. He says, that's rubbish. He says, I was an Israelite, a Benjaminite, a Benjaminite, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee. And then he says, it's all rubbish. He casts it aside. He says that he's zealous for God. He's blameless according to the law. And then he says, it's all garbage. And I throw it aside for the gain of Jesus Christ. I think if Paul was standing here preaching you this morning, he would say to you, in your New Testament, New Covenant life, you don't need to look at your baptism for your righteousness. Cast it aside. It's important, but it pointed to something bigger. It pointed to Jesus Christ dying and being raised for you. So don't find your your salvation. Don't find your righteousness in being dunked in some water. He would also say to you that you need to cast aside your Christian family and Christian upbringing and your Americanism and your being raised in a country and in a church that is claiming to be Christian. He, needs, he would say, don't necessarily call your membership in a church something that your righteousness is based upon. Important things. Blessings, no doubt. But righteousness is not found in any of those. It's found in Jesus Christ. And faith in Him. We'll see that in a moment. Paul would say, you throw aside your morality. You throw aside, you think you're righteous because you evangelize. Your righteousness is not found in your evangelism. It's found in the one that you evangelize about. Go on mission trips. You've got Bible knowledge. It's all rubbish if you do not know Jesus Christ. These, Paul would say, are garbage to you if you're looking to them for righteousness paul would also say that there are many things that you need to cast aside because you find worth in them outside of your religion 
Some people find salvation and righteousness in their family, in their career, in their possessions. We look to our health, our education, our political position, and we find righteousness there sometimes. We're all prone to this. We look at our reputation, how we spend our leisure time, the hobbies that we invest in. All of these are absolute garbage in relation to knowing Jesus Christ. Listen to Paul, 2 Corinthians 11. He says this, starting in 23. I've had far more imprisonments with countless beatings and other near-death experiences. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one, because 40 was thought to kill you. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger from the city. And it goes on and on and on. He's not even done. I'm halfway through his list. Those things he embraced because those things were the result of gaining Christ. His reputation, his security, his family, his career, all of this he counted as loss. And so he had to endure all these trials because he gained Jesus Christ. And the Paul that we know from the Bible as he went through all of those losses was smiling. He was smiling. He embraced these because he knew the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as his Lord. So those at the end of the day really weren't lost because the gain of Christ was so big. So here's what we're to do with this. Because we are not to just cast everything aside and go sit in a hole somewhere and think about Jesus all day long. That's not what we're talking about here in these losses, in this rubbish that Paul says he threw aside. Once we know Jesus Christ and we lose all those things and do not consider all those things as we count our righteousness, then we're to take all those things and bring them back into our lives and to put them under Jesus Christ. And if they don't fit under Jesus Christ, or if they compete with Jesus Christ, we need to cast them aside. And so sometimes that does mean we need to take family that does not embrace our faith in Jesus Christ and set them aside. We don't count them people-wise as rubbish. But we count our satisfaction in them finding us in good fashion as rubbish. We don't need their approval if they disapprove of our following Jesus Christ. That's how you cast them aside as rubbish. And then we evangelize them so that they might join us one day in proclaiming the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus as their Lord. But we don't find our satisfaction. We don't find our righteousness. We don't find our eternal hope in a family that approves of us, in a career that blesses us with material things, and on and on. So we set these aside, we insert Christ into our lives, and then we start bringing these things back under Christ. And again, if they fit, we retain them rightfully in their place beneath Christ. And our righteousness is established only in the one that all these things fit under. So let me make some application to this this morning. We live in an age where a lot of people gain Christianity, but strangely at the expense of Christ. (laughs) 
Sounds oxymoronic, doesn't it? Paul's desire is to gain Christ, not Christianity. Yet we live in a culture that seems to be going after Christianity to the expense of Christ. It's very perplexing. I don't think it's new. I think this has been going on since the Garden of Eden. They wanted good graces with God, but they also wanted to be God. Too many people are all about Christianity. They've adopted the vocabulary of the Christian faith. They've adopted the lifestyle. They, they choose a lifestyle that looks like Christianity. They've even gone so far as, <clears throat> excuse me, they've even gone so far as to identify Christianity almost as a brand that they ride for, that they champion. I'm going to give you some examples of this. I'll give you three. The world is replete with false teachers that are promoting a false gospel. It sure sounds Christian, but it is Christless. There's, there's three gospels out there that I think are prevalent in our culture. Number one, there's the morality gospel. We find ourselves righteous by doing certain things and not doing other things. And there sits our righteousness, and it is without Christ. No, we need to gain Christ, and because we've gained Christ, we don't do things that we should not do, and we do the things that we should do. But there is a a strong morality gospel that has permeated the culture that we live in. There's also the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says that if you believe right and act right, you're going to have health and wealth. I don't think Paul had health and wealth when he was shipwrecked and 39 lashes and so on and so forth, did he? No. So there's no righteousness to be found in proclaiming this prosperity gospel of just think right and do right and everything's going to happen so well for you. Your future's going to be so bright that you're just going to have to perpetually wear sunglasses everywhere you go. There's also a, a charismatic gospel that I've bumped up against even this last week. And it goes like this. If you just believe enough, if you just believe enough, you'll be able to do all kinds of things. You'll be able to, if you believe enough, get the second baptism and be able to speak in tongues. You'll be able to heal people. If you just believe enough, that leg that's two inches short will grow out and fill out and be long enough now, and now you'll walk in line and in balance. That is prevalent in the culture that we live in. And that is Christless. Yet it sure sounds like Christianity. How about another category? There, there, there is Christianity in our culture that is full of gimmicks. I've heard tale of Johnny Cash standing in a pulpit and preaching. I've heard tale of of pastors riding motorcycles literally down the aisle and up on the stage and parking it and and preaching some sermon about being a rebel without a cause. I've heard of a a seminary president putting a Humvee on on the platform and dressing in fatigues to get people's attention to preach something out of the Bible. It's all gimmicks. Scripture alone is sufficient. And it sounds Christian and it looks worldly. 
How about a third one? Have you looked at the bumper stickers that are on the cars in the towns that we drive in? I was in Fort Worth within the last week and a half. I read this lovely one. I've seen it forever. Warning. If the rapture occurs, this car will be immediately unoccupied. What is the purpose of that bumper sticker? Sounds Christian. It's got Christian language in it. But what is the purpose? It is absolutely Christless. Or how about this one? I haven't seen this one in a while. It's been since Louisville, Kentucky that I saw this one. God is my co-pilot. <laughs> co-pilot? You just demoted God if he's your co-pilot. It sounds Christian, man. At first glance, it looks good, but it is Christless. There's no righteousness found in that. And Paul would have us to hear this morning that all of that is rubbish. Garbage. Needs to be thrown aside. Lost completely. Such as I've just described to you is not Christianity. There's a word for it. It's psychology. And brothers and sisters, we are not psychologists. We are not trying to fix our psyches here this morning. We're Christians. and We're trying to seek Christ's healing of our broken hearts that are fallen and polluted and corrupted. And He does it by washing us with His Word. He does it by calling us out and cautioning us against Christianity that is without Christ. And at the end of the day, I think you're going, but Edward, then it's not Christianity. I'm going, if you're saying that, you're getting what I'm, what I'm my point. So it's not Christianity, it's psychology, it's emotional, it's sentimental, it's man-centered, it's manipulative. It's manipulative. Instead, Christianity, true Christ-centered Christianity is sacrificial, truth-based, Christ-centered, and worshipful. Not manipulative, worshipful. And we are healed, not when we're manipulated, we're healed when we worship. When we worship. That's God's design. It's good for us to worship Him. So, there's my first point. We have got to be willing to lose all things and then gain Christ and then bring these things that we lost under Him. And if they fit, we retain them. And if we don't, they're rubbish. But now they're flying in the right formation under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Once you have gained Christ, then you can concern yourself with my next point. Number two is, we need to be, as Christians, found in Christ. If we've gained him, we need to be found in him. Look at verse 9. There at the end of verse 8, he says, <clears throat> he says, for his sake I've suffered all loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And then in verse 9 he says, and be found in him. Being found in Christ is not a one-time burst of enlightenment. We don't just gain him for a moment. We don't discover him. Eureka, there's Jesus. No, we need to be found in him, which has a perpetual meaning behind it. Constantly found in Christ. 
If you've truly gained Christ, then you will continually be found in Christ. If you're not found in Christ right now, then perhaps you've never gained Him. And you've got to go back to step one, and you've got to say, what do I need to lose in order that I might gain Him? It's very important. That's an audit that you need to go through. If you, right now, are not found in Christ, then perhaps at some point you merely encountered Him. You brushed up against Him. You you considered Him for a while, but then you moved on to the next new thing. And I'm here to tell you this morning, when you discover Jesus Christ, you need to gain Him, and then you don't need to move off from Him to something new. Yet how many people are we looking at in the world, even within the church, that are riding different waves in the surf? It's Jesus today, but that it's morality tomorrow, and then it's charisma the next day, and then it's prosperity the next day. No, we need to be found in Christ, and we need to remain right there. What does it look like to be found in Christ? That's great, Edward. Found in Christ, I need that. What does it look like? Well, the text tells us exactly what it looks like. Look what it says. It says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I want you to know that all the secrets to being found in Christ are right there in those verses. Let me start first, because I think there's three, but let me start first by telling you what it's not. That's a good place for us to start from time to time. It is not, being found in Christ is not being found in me or you. He says it, not having a righteousness of my own. So it's not being found in me. It's one that comes from outside of me. Now I want you to know every one of us is found from day one, from conception, every one of us is found in one of two people, and really in one person. And his name is Adam. We as a people, even at conception, are found in Adam. And the biblical call is for us to lose our Adamness and be found in another one whose name is Christ. Every person for all of eternity will be found in one of two people. We'll either be found in Adam or we'll be found in Christ. And we all start out found in Adam. And so we're on a journey and we're called by God to not be found in Adam for eternity. But to count everything as loss so that we can be found in Christ. And if that switch does not happen in your life. Before Christ comes again, you need to be warned. Warned. We are really good at being in Adam. We're good at that. We're naturals (laughs) at it. And we need to fight claw and scratch we need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling 
Because it's God who's at work in us so that we can be found in Christ now and in the day that's promised that he will come again. It's really amazing. I want you to look in, in Philippians here. Look back at chapter 2. It's really amazing because there, there is some, some mirror imaging going on here, opposite imaging going on here. In, in verse 8 of Philippians 2, we see that Christ was found in human form. We're to be found in Christ, but Christ for a moment is found in human form. Actually, for eternity, he's still in human form. Look at this. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In human form, Christ knew no sin, and he was righteous to every letter of the law that was written, and he was perfect. And so we see here that Christ was found in human form and did all of that so that we could have a chance to be found in the form of Christ, to be found in Christ. And so there's this concept between Adam and Christ that even existed in Jesus taking on flesh, God the Son taking on flesh. He had to become like the first Adam so that he could be the last Adam. And we need to be found not in that first Adam. We're already there. We need to transition and be found in the last Adam. And Paul wrote all about that in 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 5. So no, we're not to be found in me because to be found in me is to be found in Adam. No, we're to be found in Christ. And we're found in Christ by faith, he says. He says, but that which comes through faith in Christ, righteousness from God that depends on faith. And I would put in parentheses, in him. So now there's three ways that we, through faith, can be found in Christ. And they're right here in the text. Listen to me. Here's the first one. We are to know him. We are to know him in verse 10 by sharing in his sufferings. Now, I risk saying that, and I guess Paul risks writing that because that might make some of you say, whoop, that's it for me. I don't need any kind of suffering. I got plenty of that already. No, thank you. I'm going to be quite fine staying in Adam. That's not going to work for you, even now, much less for eternity. We know him by sharing in his sufferings. So right quick, I'm hearing echo from earlier in verse 7 and 8. I'm hearing loss of all things. If we're willing to suffer, that means we're going to be losing some things, right? We're going to lose reputation. We're going to lose safety and security going to lose possessions perhaps because they'll be withheld from us and on and on and on we've got to be able to share in Christ's sufferings which means we've got to be willing to suffer loss uh, Paul is all over this topic in all 13 of his letters in 2nd Timothy 3:12 indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted to be in Christ means that you will perhaps be persecuted. And I want you to know in 2017, you live a life in Christ, in this town, with humility. Don't be cocky. With humility, you will be persecuted. You will be thought strange. You will. There's your suffering. And when suffering comes, if you're in Christ, you don't evaporate in Christ and go back to being in Adam. 
You say, I'm sharing with my Christ in his sufferings. How about this second one? First, we share in his sufferings. Second, oh boy, oh boy, it says right here, we become like him in his death. Whoa, suffering's one thing, but you're telling me I've got to die to be in Christ? Yes. The Christian life is a life, stay with me here, is a life of death. This summer, as a spinoff from our men's retreat that happened a few weeks ago, we're going to study killing sin habits. Killing. There are things about us that need to die so that we can be in Christ. The Adam in us needs to die and replaced with Christ in us. We need to gain Christ. We need to lose Adam and all the things that come with that. All the entrapments of Adamness. So we need to lose, yes, in suffering, and we need to lose being like Christ in death. We need to kill things before they kill us. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The old me, the Adam me, needs to be crucified 2,000 years ago in that, on that cross. And it gets there by my faith that Jesus died on that cross in my place. Then I'm crucified on that cross, you see. So there's loss with suffering and there's loss with death. And then thirdly, we know him. Through the, here's a good one, here comes the gain. I've got good news. We know him through the power of his resurrection. Being resurrected from the dead. It's right there in your text. So now we're gaining new life and eternal life. And we gained it because we experienced the loss of suffering and the loss of dying to our old Adamic self. Paul says in Romans 6, 5, For we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So we identify with him in loss and death. And we identify with him in gain and resurrection. And we do all this by believing. By faith. Not by circumcision, not by being an Israelite or a Benjaminite or a Hebrew of Hebrews or a Pharisee or a baptized church member at Rocky Point. All of that's garbage. We get it by believing that Jesus Christ became man and died in my place. He became like me, though he wasn't like me because he never sinned. And he died like I deserve, though I won't die now if I believe in him. So to know Christ, if you really look at all of this and boil it down, to know Christ is to imitate him, suffer, die, and be resurrected. To know Christ and the surpassing worth of him as Lord is to imitate him. We are to count all things as rubbish. Well, that sounds like what what Jesus did. Look it over in chapter 2, verse 6. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I think it wouldn't be too far to stretch to say he he counted equality with God for the moment rubbish. 
because there was something greater. It was greater for him to take on flesh. It was greater for him to be tempted and tried in every way that we are, yet without sin. It was greater for him, after all of that, to suffer and to die. And it was greater for him to come back from the dead on the third day. So there's such gain there that he counted equality with with God a thing not to be grasped, but to be emptied of. And we've already preached through all of that. Well, if Christ did that, he's equal with God, but he didn't count it something to be grasped to. We are also to cast off things of our life that do not provide for us righteousness. And then we gain Christ when we do that and his resurrection. And there in chapter 2, verse 9, God highly exalted him. When he considered equality with God something to be lost... God highly exalted him, so he gained. We're about that. We're to do just like Jesus did, through faith in him and what he did for us. So being found in Christ is an act of extreme shifting. It's not adding Jesus to who we are. It's dying to the old and being raised in the new. It's becoming the exact opposite of our natural condition when we were conceived. That natural condition is fallen. Now, here's how opposite it is. I mean, it's this opposite. Christ was God, (laughs) and he became so opposite. He became the most opposite from God that he possibly could be. He became man. That's opposite. This man was fallen, sinful, forsaken by God, needing redemption. So he was God, but he came man. That's extreme. Well, we're to do the same thing. We live in darkness before we know Christ, but then we're to flip over and go to the extreme other end and be in light. It's that extreme. We don't just kind of dim up bring the lights up just a little bit when we get christ no we're in pitch black darkness and we go to stark white blinding light in jesus christ it's not a middle ground it's not twilight it's dark and it's light we go from being in absolute chaos i want you to know before jesus christ every human being is absolutely chaotic Your emotions bounce around all over the place. Your intellect fails you. You can't remember anything. All of that stuff is chaos. Something has got to be brought about you to deal with that chaos. And so when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you get on the road to order. And we progressively get more and more in order as we live life. It's not a flip of the switch, right? There is order that gradually gets folded in. This morning as we preach and as we sing, we're folding order into our hearts. We're trying to advance ourselves further down the line to orderliness. We're trying to combat the chaos of our fallenness. And one day, all of that chaos will be eradicated when Jesus Christ comes again. And then it's all order for eternity. And we're groaning for order. We're groaning under the burden of chaos. But as you know Christ, that groaning starts to evaporate. And we rejoice 
And one day we will rejoice to the full. So you can't claim to be a Christian unless your life is extremely opposite of your previous way. You've got to go from Adam to Christ, dark to light, chaos to order, just like Jesus went from God to man when he took on flesh. We're not merely modified. We're dead and raised again in Christ. Loss of old, gain of new. Every human is found in Adam. The question is, will you be found in Christ? It's the question of the day. Do you suffer on the account of His name, on account of His teachings, and on account of your obedience to His teachings? Do you suffer because of this? If so, you're in Christ. Have you crucified your flesh in its sinful ways? Do you have a machete out and are you hacking away at the sinful ways in your heart day in and day out? If you do, you're in Christ. Do you live as one resurrected from the dead? Do you live as though you were a new creation? Have you thrown off the old and you don't look like that person that you were anymore? If so, though you're not perfect yet, you're in Christ. You're in Christ. So, if you've gained Christ, first of all, and if you're found in Christ, second of all, thirdly, this morning, you will live under Christ. Here's my third point. And I go back to verse 8 for third point number 3. Verse 8 reads, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And then those last two words of that sentence. Don't read those too quick. My Lord. If you call Jesus Christ Lord, you're under Him. But the Adam in us wants us to be Lord and have us over Him. Or the Adam in us wants a bumper sticker that at best says, God is my co-pilot. No, God is our commander, our chief, our Lord. He's not co-anything with us. When you gain Christ, as the Bible describes it, He can only be your Lord. Otherwise, you've not gained Him. Otherwise, you're not found in Him right now. You're found in yourself if you're the Lord of your life. When you are in Christ... If he is not Lord, then you've never gained him, never found him. You didn't even know him. Because if you rightly know Jesus Christ, if you rightly know him, you will know him to be Lord. And therefore, you will come in under him. And then you're going to suffer like he did, die like he did, but you'll be resurrected like he was. Boy, we get this verse a lot. I'm not going to shrink back from quoting it to you again. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? Sounds like a morality gospel, prosperity gospel, charismatic gospel, bumper sticker gospel, gimmick gospel. 
Because Jesus then turns to them and says, Depart from me. Here's the quote. For I never knew you. And this morning Paul's telling us about the, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. He knows Christ as Lord. But these guys that say Lord, Lord, don't know Him as Lord. They know Him as a co-pilot. Man, I cast out demons in your name. I did many mighty works in your name. You're my co-pilot. That's what they're saying. He says, co-pilot, no. Lord, yes, but I never knew you. So I'm not your Lord and you're not my subject. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. You're still in Adam. Wow. Wow. That's stiff. So we are to be under Christ because we're found in Christ because we gained Christ. And in all of that, we are evidencing that we know Christ. We don't know him here. We know him here. And then we know him here. So if these verses this morning in conclusion do not describe your heart then you don't understand yourself rightly. You don't see the need that you have for the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You don't see that there's things you need to lose if these verses don't apply to you yet. You don't see the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. And so, while I say you don't know yourself adequately, you know less about Jesus Christ if these verses aren't true of you. Because you've not yet glimpsed at Him as Lord. So I would call you this morning to proclaim Him to be who He absolutely is. It's not who is He to you. It's who He is. And He is Lord. Because He didn't think equality with God was a thing to be grasped. And he took the form of Adam. But he lived the life that Adam didn't live. He lived a life without sin. And he died. And he rose. And he's highly exalted. And God the Father gave him a name that is above all names. Lord. When you have seen and embraced the excellency and knowledge of Jesus Christ, everything else will be become rubbish to you. Everything else when compared to Christ I promise you will disappoint you. You'll flirt with it for a little bit, but you'll realize really quick, this is really disappointing. And you'll go back to this Christ concept, truth. And say, I need to gain Him, and I need to be found in Him, and I need to be under Him. And so this morning, it's my prayer that you will count everything that you find worth in and righteousness in and satisfaction and peace in, I pray that you will count it all as garbage and you will replace it with the surpassing worth of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us your Son that we might gain him. Christ Jesus, we pray through the encounters that we have with you and your word and in prayer that we would always be found in you. And Jesus, we call you our Lord this morning, and I pray that our lives would be under you and yours. 
We pray all this for our eternal benefit and even our temporary now benefit, but certainly for your eternal glory. Amen.